reached that point in Deuteronomy where it's kind of a shotgun, right? Where Moses is just、um, one or two sentences, and there's this, and there's this, and boy, the subjects range from all over the place. And tonight we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-three. And if you were not studying through the Bible, you probably would never read this chapter. You probably would never hear anything from this chapter in church. <laughs> it's、um, You know, it's one of those chapters that nobody would just—they would look at it and they go, "Okay, this is—I don't want to talk about this in church. I don't want to—I don't know what to say if I was saying this in front of people." And again, it's another one of those chapters that you're you're forced to, in a way, to look at when you're going through the whole Bible and you're learning the whole Bible. And、um, and it's great because all of God's words, all of His word, hold lessons for us. His whole word does. And uh, again, uh, the first ver- verse, eight verses, we'll 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 talk about one subject. But let's let's pray before we go into that. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to hear from you, and from a part of your word which you know probably a lot of people would stray stay away from because of just not feeling comfortable talking about it, not knowing what to say, and. You know, it just doesn't seem like something that anybody really wants to know or talk about or hear about, Lord. Or, and yet we know your word holds、uh, infinite value in every way, in every chapter, in every word, because it's your word. And、uh, may we hear and learn and apply all that you reveal to us tonight by your Holy Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah, when you read it today, it's just a little bit different. You're right; it is just something. You're like, okay, what do I do about this? Now, one thing to keep in mind before we read the first eight verses and the lessons that that teaches. Now, remember, in the old covenant, one thing God showed very clearly to His people was that、um, uh, how difficult and how how few people were able to really get close to the Lord. Do you remember how the tabernacle or the temple later on will be set? You know, the the closer you get to where the Lord met man in the holy of holies, the fewer and fewer people. The number of people that could get close was got smaller and smaller. So just picture the temple or the tabernacle. The temple is probably easier. But remember, they had even in Jesus' day, they had the court of the Gentile, where anybody could come in, whether you're a Jew or not, you could come there. And you would be on the outside, the outskirts, and then on the inside of that was the court of the women, so the Jewish women could come there. And then、uh, next was the court of the men, so the Jewish men could come here. Now, just think, other other groups couldn't enter in to those. You had to stay in your particular group. So a larger group on the outside, a smaller group. Now, as you get closer, and then the Jewish men, a smaller group. And then inside of that, only the Levites could operate in around the temple area or the tabernacle area, do the offerings and, and all those things. And then even a smaller group, the priests, could go inside the temple or the tabernacle and offer the bread or the incense or light the candles. So you just had a, a very small group of priests now that could go inside. And then when you went to the second compartment inside the temple or the tabernacle, the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant was. Only one person could go in there, and they could only go in there once a year after a very elaborate ceremony of atoning for their, or paying for, or covering, if you would, their sins. And, and so again, the Lord was showing how, you know, how far apart 
uh, holy God is from sinful man. There's a huge gap. And so keep that in mind. The Lord was saying, listen, I'm holy and, and, and you're not. And, and there is, you know, this process of how you come to me. And, and, and it, it, and it is, it is that whole process, just showing the desperate need of God's grace and ultimately the need for the Savior Jesus to, to, uh, to atone and, and completely pay for our sins. And now we can approach God. And I think we kind of forget that sometimes the access that we have that really wasn't there before Jesus and how difficult it was. And so these verse eight, ver, first eight verses, you know, really kind of um, remind us of that. So let's let's look at verse one, and it says of chapter twenty-three of Deuteronomy: He who emasculated, he who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation, shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, emasculate just is probably what it sounds like. It's where part or all of a man's sexual organs have been removed. Um, this was done for a couple of reasons. Sometimes, you know, invading armies would, would just do that to punish the soldiers. Other times, uh, you know, in, in parts of the world, uh, if you were in charge uh, of a very wealthy person or a royalty's harem, they would castrate the male so there wouldn't be any temptation to, you know, uh, have sexual contact with all these women that were there. Uh, that, that definitely happened. Um, also, in the pagan religions... Uh, genital mutilation was uh, sometimes part of their practice. And so what the Lord is saying here is, you know, it's not going to be a part of anything to do. And if you do anything like that, you are not a part of uh, of my people. That's what the Lord is saying here. Uh, you know, he has a special grace. And again, the birthright as a Jew was passed down through Abraham and his descendants. So there was a, a physical birthright that they had in having that connection of being God's people from 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 Jacob or also Nick called Israel passed down. And so, you know, to reproduce and multiply was a very important thing for the Jews and for the nation. And so the Lord says, listen, I want you going. If you get involved in any of that, you know, you're out. Uh, it's just not part, not going to be part of all. And then the next verse says, one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And again, the illegitimate birth speaking, being not part of God's family, God's plan for family. And again, it kind of leads us back to verse 1 there of sexual practices and things that they did. It was important to be a descendant of, of Abraham, and not anybody just shows up into the congregation. Uh, today, we, we look at it this way. You know, you, you, you aren't part of the family of God unless you're, you're born again, right? Uh, so kind of a think of it maybe in those terms. Maybe it's a little easier for us to understand. You know, you don't you don't come to the Lord through your parents' uh, relationship with the Lord, or because you were born in a religious uh, system. Well, uh, you know, I'm a Catholic because I was born into a family that that calls themselves Catholic, and you know how it is around here. You go to other parts of the country; it's different types of churches. It, it's you know, Baptist churches or 
Presbyterian churches. So, you know, it's not, our area tends to be a a lot heavier or Catholic. But, you know, people think that they're Catholic. Why? Not because they go to Catholic churches, because, you know, their parents were, their grandparents did, or if they ever go to church, that's the church they go to. But again, you don't enter in that relationship through your parents or through any kind of religious practices, right? It's because you're uh, born again. You personally enter into that relationship with him. And uh, it's not by relation or religious duties because there's no grandchildren in heaven either. They're all children of God. And he's saying, listen, that, that that's how it works. There's nobody um, that's not born again, if you would, enters into the family of God. You have to come that way. And the same thing was true kind of in this, uh, speaking of this in, in verse 2 of illegitimate. We don't use that word very much anymore, but. God says, listen, I have a plan, and you need to follow it. If you don't, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And then he goes on in verse 3, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, uh, 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 from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Now you remember we were reading about that. Baal went, uh, Balaam wasn't supposed to go and they liked the money. They came back with more. And he ended up going and God says, remember the angel stopped him on the road. The donkey laid down and the donkey spoke to him, remember? And God says, listen, okay, if you're going to go, you're only going to say my words. And the king of Moab paid him to curse Israel. But every time he tried to curse Israel, uh, you know, a blessing came out. And so the Lord, you know, uh, says that because they didn't greet you um, uh, on the road and they try to curse you, they're, they're not to enter the congregation. And then even verse 5 says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing for you because the, uh, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So again, there was some people that the Lord says, you're not to mix with them forever. Uh, They were involved in all sorts of satanic and demonic things. And again, remember, they hired Balaam to curse you in some way. And they had all these false religious practices. And the Lord says, you need to stay away from them forever. There's no peace. There's no way you start marrying them and getting involved with them, even though they're close to you. Don't do that. Now, you might remember there was somebody in the Bible, though, that's pretty famous that was from Moab. It was Ruth. When we read the book of Ruth and go through the book of Ruth, which is a great book, it's a a fascinating book. She was from Moab and she was the great uh, and, and David was her great grandson. So she was connected to King David. So what does that mean? To me, I think it just shows the mercy of God. They were not to mix with them. They weren't supposed to get involved and be friends with them and have treaties and then kind of get connected with them because, you know, there were some very sinful practices that the Lord said you need to stay away from. But it also goes to show you that, you know, when somebody really seeks the true and living God, 
they always find him. You, you know, you will, a person will always find the Lord if they're really looking for them. And even though they weren't supposed to mix, but yet her heart was to follow the Lord and fell in love with the Lord and, you know, connected and, and was part of the nation and, and God allowed that. And so, again, I think it just really shows the mercy of God. Um, one thing you can just note real quick here, if you look at verse 5, you know, Balaam tried to curse them and he was pretty powerful, known for being able to do that. But the Lord says, I turn that into a blessing because I love you. You know, I think, was it Isaiah 54 that says, you know, no weapon formed against you shall stand. You know, here you get a, a picture of that in the Old Testament as well as we know for sure in the New Testament that, you know, there, there's spiritual enemies and there's a spiritual attack and all those things. God loves you. And, and, and he is not, there is no force that can come against you or I that he will allow to uh, to pass through, except for what's our own good, which will work out for good in the end. And so the Lord filters all that. So we never have to be afraid or worried or scared or fearful of what happens because the Lord loves us and he's watching out for us. And even if somebody means something evil for you, God's going God's gonna to turn it around. You know, he is and always does and always will. Yeah, and always has. You know, I just figured if, you know, if somebody wants to do something harm to your house or something that, you know, as they kind of approach, something's going to scare them off or they're going to get their mind turned to look, go someplace. I mean, the Lord's going to, he's going to take care of us. And what he allows to go through is only for what's our own good. And um, just a good reminder, even back here in Deuteronomy, or early on in Deuteronomy, we see that clearly. And then, now we change the subject again, verse 9. And when your armies go out against your enemies, keep your, uh, then keep yourself from every wicked thing. Now, personally, I think this would be a great verse for everybody that's going into the military, into basic training. That ought to be plastered above every barrack. That ought to be on every drill sergeant's lips. I mean, in my opinion, that's what it should be. Because uh, the Lord knew even back then... Hey, listen, when you go into the army, when you go into the military, you're going to see some pretty wild things. You're going to be off in places out of your home and, and the things that you know, and you're going to be over in areas and in cities where they do all kinds of crazy things. You're going to see all sorts of, you know, sinful things going on, pretty wild things. And, and uh, you need to just... And, you know, even during war, your mind kind of gets, you know, flips a, a switch so that you can be engaged in battle. And, but, you know, you need to keep this, you know, in the forefront. Don't get involved in wicked things. And I think a lot of our military guys, when they go in at such a young age, they, they, they come get exposed to some very bad habits at a very young age. They're exposed to so much and, you know, so many places and so much trouble. It's just, um, you know, even back here, the Lord says, listen, you're going to see stuff. You keep yourself on the right track. You keep yourself from every wicked thing. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, if any, if there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go out of the camp and he shall not come inside the camp. 
So you're in battle. This is going on. This is the camp. You're camped out. You know, for a battle coming in. That's what this, these verses continue to talk about. But it shall be when evening comes, he shall wash with water. When the sun sets, he may come into the camp. And then verse twelve. This might come into the very weird and funny part, but also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement among your equipment, and you shall sit down outside, and you shall、uh, dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. Verse fourteen: For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, that He may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. So, can I say here it is the outhouse? You carry a shovel with you, some kind of implement. You got to go. You go outside the camp. You dig a hole. You cover it up. Can I? I could put it under this category. God is interested in sanitation. Now you got to think this is really unheard of at this time. I mean, if you got to go and you're with a bunch of guys and they're in the army, even in in towns and cities, I mean, they would just go everywhere. I mean, you even see it if you go to a, a lot of third world countries today in very poor sections. I mean, they got to go to the bathroom. It doesn't matter, men, women, whatever. The ladies. Pull up their skirts and go right there. Kids go, people go. I mean, they go everywhere and anywhere. It's just、uh, you know what they do. And here, back, back, even in this time, the Lord says, "Listen,、um, you, you know, I, I, I'm interested in sanitation. God wants us, you know, wants a clean body, a clean environment, clean thought, and clean action. You know, we're, we're, you're the holy people of, of, of mine." And you're going to do things different. Now, on this side of it, we understand the disease and infection and all sorts of stuff that lies within,、uh, you know, not having sanitation, not having sewers.、Uh, you know, you know, you read about it once in a while. These outbreaks,、uh, particularly when we were having the Olympics in Brazil. Remember, there was all those big things. They wanted to go Coco Cabana Beach. And the, the raw sewage literally ends up right there at the beach, and there was all these people in canoeing and boating and sailing and all these kind of things. And they're like, "Man, we don't want to swim in that. It's, it's got sewage in it, high bacteria count." You might remember that whole big thing leading up to the Olympics a year or so or two ago. And, and see, God's even addressing that way back here. We understand the wisdom of it today, in, in some sense, as far as sanitation. But God is saying it back then. Listen, I'm in your midst. You're going to do things different, and and again,、um, uh, just clean environment, clean body, clean thought, clean actions.、It's、kind of a weird thing to talk about, but Lord's interested in sanitation. I always say He's interested in everything, every part of us. There's a great example of that. Well, he's going to change the subject in verse fifteen. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses, within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. Now, what's all this about? Well. Remember, the Lord had already spoke about slavery, right? 
He had already talked about servants and all that with, with the Jews and the people and the six years you're supposed to have them and the seventh year they let them go. And, and then, you know, we already talked about this. So what's he talking about? The Lord is talking about uh, people from other nations. So other nations around them would have slaves and of course they would be cruel and mean and, uh, you know, it was a very cruel process. And the Lord said, listen, if they escape... And they show up with you. You're to welcome them. You're to provide for them. You're to have mercy on them. And let them live wherever they want. If they want to stay there, great. If they want to move over there, great. You, you, you just remember, show mercy on them. They've escaped some horrific conditions and harsh conditions. They've shown up to you. What do you do with them? You don't enslave them. You don't take advantage of them. You bless them. You provide for them. What a great, wonderful testimony. Again, the Lord had a lot to say about slavery. And in this case, when they came in, set them free. Be nice to them. Let them go where they want to go. Well, we're changing gears again. Verse 17 says, There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God uh, for any vowed offering. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. First thing is, the Lord says, listen, um, other nations, very commonly, they would have temple prostitutes. So this temple or this place of worship would have these gals that were that were prostitutes. They would get paid, and that's how money was provided to keep that temple or that place of worship or whatever they had open. And, and the Lord says, you're to have none of that. And whether it's male or female prostitution, because it's addressing both here, notice it says at the end of verse 18, these are an abomination to the Lord your God. So the Lord says, listen, uh, there's not to be any harlotry. There's not to be any prostitution. You're not allowed to let anybody enter into that. And you're not allowed. It was an, it was an abominable thing before the Lord. And under no circumstances would he accept income, which is coming from these activities, which are immoral and are completely wrong. He doesn't want any of it. He doesn't want any of it. You know, um, you know, you see these pictures and, you know, you see all the money coming in and they just had a huge drug bust um, in Long Beach, right? The guy was driving with, um, man, I, I, 80 pounds of cocaine or something like that. It was some huge amount, right? And he just got busted and all that kind of stuff and, you know, you see bags of money going back and forth that they get and drugs coming in and everything. And, you know, this is how I kind of look at this today. And, and you know, maybe this helps get you a better picture of what the Lord's talking about. You know, whether there's money coming from a criminal organization or some kind of drug money, you know, I find it so hypocritical that a lot of these cartels and, and you know, people selling drugs and pushing and doing all this stuff will, will buy, will give all this money to the church or have a, 
have a you know um, you know a, a church built in their community. You know, it's kind of common in Mexico and Central and South America. A lot of these cartel guys and everything will will build you know in their village this huge you know uh, you know church there and all that kind of stuff and. Uh, you know, and these, these, these guys that do horrific evil things, and, and yet, you know, they, they try to, you know, give some money to the church. Lord says, I don't want any of it. You know, somebody comes in and says, listen, you know, I've got this pile of cash here, you know, made a fortune off, you know, doing this or doing something illegal. Lord says, I don't want a dime of that. That, that, that's an abomination to me. That 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 money came from evil things and evil practices and sinful things that are hurting people and killing people. I, I don't want a penny of that. Don't you ever bring a dime of that into my presence. I don't. I don't want any of it. That that's pretty much what the Lord's saying. And you know, our way might be a little different, but you know, honestly, you know, in India, there's a ton of prostitution. That's a big thing that's going on for for. For places like this, still, I mean, this still happens today. It's not something that was four thousand years ago or forty five hundred years ago. I mean, this stuff still goes on today. And the Lord says, "Listen, that is not to be found at all. And I don't want to take dirty money, not a penny of it. That's an abomination to me. And so, uh, just an important thing to remember. You know, that's that's what God says about this. Um, not to be found anywhere among my people." Well, then he changes subjects again. Verse nineteen: You shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. God's saying very clearly, don't profit from your brother's need. Now, God, God was eventually, as far as the nation as a whole and people that weren't part of the nation, to lend to them. God said that that's one of the things He would do if they listened to Him. You know, He was they were going to be lenders to many nations and not borrowers. And so, as a whole, as a nation to the other nations, there it was it was to be different, uh, and there was a reason for that. And we've talked about that, but within the people you know of the nation if somebody's in need you you give to them and and you don't profit from it you, you don't make profit from that you help them out god repeats that over and over and over again you help everybody out and somebody's in need you help them out and um you know always showing mercy always showing love whether it's to a runaway slave or somebody that doesn't have much don't profit on your brothers from your brother's need. And in verse 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God, what you have promised with your mouth. So you make a vow, you make a promise to the Lord, you were to keep it. Now, typically I find that these vows are kind of like you're stuck, you need something, something's going on, some big deal, and you try to make a deal with the Lord. Well, Lord, 
I, I will do this if you do this. If you do this for me, then I will commit to this. And in the Old Testament, the Lord allowed that. In the Old Covenant, the Lord allowed that. Oh, okay, you can do that. But if you do that, you better follow up on what you said. You better keep your word. Um, you know, uh, it's common today. People, oh, Lord, if you just get me out of this thing, I'll go to church. I promise. If you just get me through this, I, I'll do this, right? People do it all the time. And then you... And how many times before you knew the Lord did, you know, you did that? And then, you know, a week later you find yourself, oh, I'm out of the situation. Back to normal, right? The Lord says, listen, don't do that. You make a commitment. I'm holding you to it. And, and the Lord, and even says right here, you know, you don't have to do it. I'm not telling you to do it. If it's, you know, if you don't do it, that's great. And as a matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament made this very clear. He said, you know, don't even do it at all. Don't even make those kind of promises. Don't even make that kind of commitment. Just be a person of your word. And, and you know, it's better not to do any of this because it just gets you into trouble. And and for most people, when they make those kind of vows, it's, it's kind of like this, let's make a deal with God. You know, I'll do this if you do that kind of a thing. And the Lord, Lord says, listen, I love you. I'm going to show, I'm going to give you what's best for you. You don't have to deal with me that way. Just respond to me. Love me. Just be in that relationship with me. Everything I give you is for your good. Anything I withhold is only for your good. There's nothing I withhold from you that's 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 not that that's good for you. I, I wouldn't do that. So again, he just reminds them the people. And here, you know, if people are going to do it, then you need to keep your word. And the last part of this chapter, verse 24. And then when you come into your neighbor's vineyard. You may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. And whenever you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So, um, oops, I missed this. So this is kind of like this, right? There wasn't any McDonald's today. There wasn't any in and out in those days. You're traveling from here to there. You're, you're walking by a field. You're getting hungry. Hey, there's some grapes there. There's some olives there. There's some grain there. Have a, have a lunch. Have a picnic there. Sit down. Get what you need. Eat what you need. You're not to take a bunch of it. You're not to fill a sack of it or a bushel basket full of it and you start, you know, taking all this stuff. No, that's not it. But... You know, there wasn't any drive-through places in those days, and they're moving from place to place, or they're traveling for some reason. So, you know, just just use what you need. Don't don't be all selfish and greedy. But you're hungry, you know. Make your field available. Your vineyard. Don't chase people out. I remember one time I was we first moved here, um, probably a year, and I, you know, we didn't know much, anything about apples. And back, well, two thousand. Three, early 2004, you know, there's still a significant amount of, of orchards around here. And I, we used to, because we used to live down the street, we used to walk along the um, the levee there. And, and you know, there used to be those apple orchards. I think there's still some back over there, uh, you know, right off of, um, I'm pointing there, but yeah, right over here. You know, uh, just before you get to college, back there is that little dirt road. And then if you walk the levee, you walk through them. So one time we were with the kids, and they were little. I mean, they were real tiny, and we had a couple of the neighbor kids with us, and we walked through the vineyard, and 
you know, the apples weren't um, quite ripe. And so there were some on the ground, so the kids were kind of playing. I remember some lady comes up, get out of my face, tired of people. Oh, man, she just let off with all sorts of stuff. And I was just like, wow, man, you know, we, we weren't causing trouble. You know, we weren't breaking branches, you know. Uh, we were just kind of walking through and kind of just looking and thinking, wow, it was neat to look at apple trees. And and uh, and the Lord kind of addresses that. Hey, you know what? If somebody needs some, let them have some. They don't have to pick a bunch and put them with them. But if they want to eat a couple apples as they're going through, then, then let them. Okay? No McDonald's in those days. So um, that he was just, again, merciful, thinking of others. Chapter 24. Now we'll talk about divorce, being generous, fair, and thinking of others. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then the former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance." So, this is the law about divorce. Now, there is a lot of, there was a lot of controversy about this, even up into Jesus' day. Because what's the um, condition for the divorce? It says, verse 1, if he has found some uncleanness in her. Well, what's uncleanness? Well, people took that from burning the breakfast to adultery. <laughs> and... and And again, um, the Lord doesn't specifically address it, and I think for a reason, at least right here. I mean, he makes it pretty clear in, in, in his heart on the matter throughout the Old Testament. Jesus makes it very clear in the New Testament, and, and even further in the New Testament, marriage and divorce is addressed many places in many ways. But this regulation for divorce uh, protected divorced women. Um, first of all, they had to write something down. There had to be an official document to do that. What that did is it didn't allow for any rash decisions. You know, things are going wrong and everybody kind of tempers blow up. And then next thing you know, there's irreconcilable differences, what they call it now for, for divorce in most cases. And so, uh, you know, hey, listen, you're, you're going to need to make this formal. And so there wasn't this... Uh, Way And again, you got to think of the nations around them, even to the Greeks and the Romans. And later on, uh, up until Henry VIII, remember how many wives he went through and killed them? I mean, it's still in the Middle East today, in a lot of Muslim places, it's still like that. They trade, you know, wives like, you know, you're trading baseball cards. And the Lord didn't want that. And, and he said back then, listen, time's going to pass. It's going to take a time to do that. First of all, it, it slows down the process. Second of all, hey, listen, if you divorce her, there's no going back. That's what that's what this means. So if you have this remorse, oh, man, you know, I really miss her. And, you know, she's gone now. Hey, listen, if you make this decision, that's it. It's it's done and it's final. You know, and, and again, um, 
it, it allowed her to, to return to her parents with dignity and seek, you know, legal remarriage. So it protected her, so she wouldn't have to resort to slavery or prostitution for their livelihood. Remember, women had uh, depended on the man to do so much to keep them uh, safe and fed and all that they had in those days. And I believe that's another reason why the dowry was given. Remember last week we were talking about the bridal price of 50 shekels or 100 shekels of silver was paid to the parents. And the idea was if something happened like this, it was kind of pay in advance alimony maybe we look at. So that, you know, if something happens and she had to go back to her parents' house for some reason in a divorce, that she would have something to live on. She, she would have some money. Um, and uh, it's kind of written down here, but that really even happened long before that. You remember way back in Genesis when Jacob married Leah and Rachel, and he's ready to head back home now, and, and he's asking the girls, hey, we're going to go back. And they said, yeah, our dad, all the money that he made, you know, took in for the dowry for us, he spent it all, you know. If something happened, we got nothing to go back to. And so they said, yeah, we'll just go with you. If you remember way back in Genesis, this was still going on. And, and again, um, just remember, in Malachi chapter 2, I believe it is, you know, in the Old Testament, God makes it very clear. He said he hates divorce. Hates divorce. Um, it's become such a scourge in the nation. He made it very clear. And, of course, Jesus um, <clears throat> says at this particular section in the New Testament, he said, you know, the reason that you were granted this is out of your hardness of hearts. God created Adam and Eve, marriage, the two becoming one, and what God has put together, let no man separate. That's what Jesus said. And I always say that at a wedding because it's important. And so, um, again, the Lord's thinking about marriage and the family and the problems and the heartaches that happen and he's trying to prevent that. And and his heart was that it would never happen. But because of the hardness of the people's hearts, because they would just want to do their own things more than they wanted to do what God said, he knew it was going to happen, and so he put provision in for that. That being said, verse 5 says, When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, nor be charged with any business, he shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Now, this is pretty cool, right? The Lord says, listen, if you get married, life wasn't to continue on as normal. You know, you weren't supposed to do your own thing as you did when you're single. There's so many guys that particularly do this. I just see it, even people I know, is, you know, the guys get involved in softball or this league or doing this or going out with the guys or doing this kind of stuff and they you know they're, they're kind of live they're married now but they're still kind of living a single life you know she's stuck with the home and cleaning up and doing laundry and if they have a child or two taking care of him he's out kind of living the single life and the Lord said listen when the marriage starts let's just reset everything you're not to do normal stuff for a whole year and focus on what bringing your wife happiness and now why does he need to focus on bringing his wife happiness? Because she married the guy, <laughs> right? She married you, and he needs to, she needs to be happy because she's looking at, what did I marry? No, I'm just kidding. But you get the idea, right? You know, just reset things. You're not single anymore. Spend time focusing on that, getting to know each other. You know, the Lord wanted the marriage to work, and so he said, take a year off. 
So we take a week for a honeymoon, right? The Lord says, take a year. I think we ought to reinstitute that. <laughs> take a yeah, take a year off. I like that. You know, a year-long honeymoon. And uh, so that's what God's saying. In verse 6, he changes subjects again. No man shall take the lower and upper uh, millstone as a pledge. For he, if, for he takes one's living as in pledge. Again, this has to do with mercy. You know, those were in, implements to grind wheat or olives or whatever they were doing. And if you they had to borrow some money, you don't take that as collateral. He can't work. Again, that all has to do with mercy. Think about that. You're, you're going to affect him. And, you know, I think... Um, well, where's my picture? I think, you know, this kind of deal, just, just to kind of think about it, I just don't like these kind of things. I think they take advantage of people, these payday advances. They go out and they, you know, try to take advantage of people and, you know, they have a hard time getting by and all this stuff. And, and then they pretty soon they're getting behind all the time. They're advancing things. It's, it's taking advantage of people in, in, a, in a tough spot. And the Lord says, listen, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Think about that. And then he says in verse 7, If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die, and you shall put away the evil from among you. So kidnapping was cause for the death penalty because the Lord says it's evil. And again, most of the time in that day, as it still happens in this day today, believe it or not, people kidnap somebody to sell them into slavery. And the Lord says, you're not to have any part of that. And if we've, it's found anywhere in the nation, you put those people, that person doing that kidnapping to death and end that right then and there. And here's a picture I flipped through, but look what happens today, even going on in our world today. You know, you see these these radical Muslims, these, you know, Islamists, who read the Quran and, and think that it's okay to enslave people. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how they get out of the Quran that, uh, you know, but, but you know, ISIS particularly and all those other ones that are very close to that, you know, they kidnap and enslave all the time. You know, those girls in Africa where they kidnapped the girls' school and they raided colleges and... Man, they do it in Mexico, they do it in China, they certainly do it all over the Middle East as well. And, and you know, that's why, you know, you're selling these uh, people into the sex trade, slaves and all that kind of stuff. It's all having to do with kidnapping and all this kind of thing. And, and, and these people even stand behind the Quran and say, yeah, that's what we do. You know, we can kidnap people and kill them or enslave them or whatever and... And uh, I just want you to know the difference and see the difference between what the Bible teaches and, and what other people do. God's very clear. Listen, you are not to do any of this. It's evil. And that person shall die and you put the evil out of the land. Uh, it's not even on the menu. It's evil. Then verse 8, take heed. In an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do all according to that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. Just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. 
So the Lord said, "Listen, if there happens to be a disease going through, and a skin disease or some kind of disease that's infectious, listen, I've already instructed the, the the priests and the leaders what to do. You need to listen to them. I don't want it to spread. So listen, do what you're told to do. It, it, it's going to be what's best for you. I, I don't want to see disease spread, and there's things you need to do to stop that. And we've talked about that a lot. But why is God doing it?" Because he loves his people, doesn't want to see people get infected and this stuff spread and then become sick. You know how it is. So he says, "Let's not do that. Don't do that. Listen." And verse ten: When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge or collateral. We'd say today, you shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man's poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall uh, not, in any case, uh, you shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. And again, collateral. Guy is needs something. He, he's he's hurting. He needs to borrow some. You're not to make this big attitude. Okay, let's go into the house and see what you got of value. Okay, I'll loan you the five hundred bucks, but let's see. You know, that's a nice flat screen TV. Um, you know, walking around. I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that until you pay me back, right? And the Lord says, don't do that. You know, don't go into a person's house and you know let him bring something out to you. Hey, here is something. I'll, 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 this is my promise that I'll pay you back. That's showing respect and grace, right? Not an ego and pride, and I'll lend it to you. But you better do this, this, and that. You know, show some grace, show some respect for them. And and if he's really poor and he only has got a couple things to his name, so don't give it give it to him. You know, if he has a jacket or a blanket and that's what keeps him warm, give it to him before it gets dark. Again, it's all about being generous and loving. To someone who is in need or is having a hard time, don't take advantage of them. And again, I'll throw that up that picture. You know, that's what that check cashing places do. They they loan and they hurt people and they charge interest. And then you're you know you're behind one week and you're behind two weeks and you're behind three weeks because you you know I was talking to one poor person and I don't even know how we were talking about it. I don't know them, but they were just saying, yeah, it's like the third week and you know they owing from a week ago and. You know, Lord says, don't take advantage of them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't hurt people like that. You've been blessed. Bless others. Verse fourteen: You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or an alien who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages, and do not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor. And he has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against the Lord, and it be sin to you. So they're barely making it. You know they're poor, and that's why they're working for you. That's why they're out in front of Home Depot. If they could get a better job, they would have a better job. And and so they're out there, and, and you know, and you got maybe three days worth of work, you know, and you're using this guy or whatever, and you know, give him money every day, give him some cash. And that's why they're doing it. They're they're out there. You know, having to do those jobs or trying to do those jobs is because they're having a hard time. So show mercy to them. 
They're, they're, they're kind of dependent on that money every day. You, you know, and you, all of us know what it's like. You know when we're having a tough time and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you barely can, you know, you're barely making it until, you know, your last bag of beans in the refrigerator or in the pantry or something and you're cooking uh, chile quiles or whatever that's called, you know, frijoles and you, you know, you're whatever's at the bottom, rice and beans, right, or whatever you have, you know, chicken soup cans and you all know what it's like to just have enough and, and, and you know, think about others that might be going through that. And, you know, you have an opportunity. Be be gracious. Show mercy. And then verse 16, Fathers, you shall not shall not be put to death for their children, nor children, uh, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. And, and so again, you know, everybody's responsible for their own action. You know, they were not to take out punishment for somebody else doing something wrong. And, you know, sad to say, sometimes, you know, you get a bad rap because, you know, your parents did this or didn't do this or lived this life or did that. Kind of like, you know, that's the way the son or the daughter is going to be or the children are going to be. And, and you know, the Lord says, listen, everybody stands on their own. In other words, it's a, it's a two-way street, right? It cuts both ways. You know, you're not a slave to your environment. And things happened, things went bad, things went wrong, and there was some crazy stuff and evil stuff, or maybe some real horrible stuff that parents did. But the children aren't, you know, they're not stuck with that. They can do, and they can get out, and they don't have to be, you know, repeat that. They can go to the Lord and and, and walk their own path and do their own thing, and they're not a slave to that. Uh, You're set free from that. And so everybody stands on their own. Um Again, you wouldn't want to punish the whole family for what one person does something wrong or sinful. The Lord makes that very clear. In verse 17, you shall not pervert justice to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. So remember where you came from. Pass along the grace and goodness you've received. Pass it along. You've received grace. You've been showed goodness. Pass it along. You know, pass that along. We've been blessed. We need to pass it along. No matter what, you know, I don't have as much as them. They have some, you know, just you've been blessed. Pass that goodness and grace along. Verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, excuse me, you shall not go over the burrows again. <coughs> excuse me. Um, for it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and for the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. So here's the idea. You, you know, you, you're, you're going and you're getting your grapes or your olives or you're picking your strawberries or apples or whatever. And, and you know, there's some that aren't ripe or there's some that just quite ready or... You know, you leave some in the field, you were stacking up grain, and you left some. Don't go back for it. Don't go back, oh, I missed those 
that fruit over there, I could have picked that. No, God's economy was you leave it. If you drop some, if you forgot some, you know, uh, don't don't. Do, if some of the fruit wasn't quite ripened yet, don't go back and, and get it a week or two later. You know, leave it for the people that are poor. Leave it for the people that are in need. Um, you know, and they can go out and work for it. They they can have opportunities to do something. You know, today people have money direct deposit into an account and. You know, they, um, you, you know, I, I just, you know, the people get trapped in that system of living off the, you know, those, you know, poor, uh, so, not Social Security, but the, welfare. thank you, welfare. <laughs> I couldn't think of that. The welfare and all that. And, you know, no, sometimes it goes down generation by generation and they, there's no motivation to do anything and they barely get by. And, and see, God's economy was, listen, I know there's going to be people like that. And this is the opportunity. They have dignity. They go out and work. They're doing something. They're productive, and they haven't. And then you're to take care of them and, and think about that. Here, um, we were coming back from the beach. We went down to Manresa. I like going to Palm Beach because it's close and there's nobody ever there. But Annabelle hates it for some reason. She doesn't like it because there's nobody there. She likes going to the beach when there's people. I'm so sick of it from Southern California. I mean, we go down to the beach and literally growing up that you know you had to put a spot for your blanket on a beach that's how crowded it is all the beaches it's crazy so i come up here and nobody's at the beach i'm like oh man that's my beach but she likes it over there and anyway i don't know why i'm telling you all that but we were coming back from manresa and we're down coming down um um san andreas and and you know there was a, a field that they had just uh, harvested all the iceberg lettuce and uh you know the guy was ready to plow it under and she goes look at all that lettuce out there and i so i said yeah we can grab it they're just going to plow it over and, and and she said why i go well look at this one it's just not a perfect head of lettuce it's you know maybe a little squishy the leaves are there it's a little bit smaller than it should be or something these guys are amazing at pick it i've watched them for work and they know how to, how to touch it and size it and they can tell which ones to pick and which not to pick but if you think about it they leave maybe 10 or 20 percent of the field and and You know, a day later, they're plowing it under. And just think how much, you know, if people could go out and just cut that and get that and pick those things. I don't know. That's what God did, right? Today, you do that. And the Lord says, listen, don't have the attitude, well, you know, I'm losing money. I could go back out through the field and pick some more or get some more and make an extra thousand bucks. He said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, think of others. And I... You know, I, I say this a lot, and don't take offense to this, but this is how I feel about it. You know, we can do the same thing today. You know, I sometimes I think garage sales are like this, people trying to get the last cent out of things that they should probably just give away. You know, I want to get the last penny out of everything, you know. And so, yeah, I'm done with this, and hey, I can have a garage sale and make, you know, a little bit of money. You know, I, sometimes I feel like, hey, you know what, you used it. You know, it was great when you had it or whatever. Just just give it away. You know, when are you going to get five bucks or a quarter for it? Yeah, you don't have to squeeze every last penny out of out of it. Um, you know, anyway, that's kind of how I look at that. Chapter 25, and we're almost done. We'll zip through this because it's just a couple subjects here. He says, therefore, uh, if, I'm sorry, if therefore a dispute between man and they come to court, the judges may judge them and testify the the righteousness and condemn the wicked. Then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, 
that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt, with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may give him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight. Now, you know, in, in the New Testament, Paul said they would do 40 ma- ma- lashes minus one or 39. They would stop at 39 so they didn't go over. I, I find it interesting. The Lord says, listen, don't go over that. Not because they're going to be beaten to death or they're bloody at that point or they're halfway to death at that point. Uh, he says it because they'll be humiliated. I, I find that kind of interesting um, here, I don't think they did it as as the Romans did it and flogged them with metal and you know chips in there that ripped the skin. I think this was obviously different beating kind of here, but but the idea there was a set limit, and then when something happened and there was a crime and 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 the judges are there and they say, well, this is the punishment. Then right then, it's not like our day that the judge makes a, a decision and the jury comes in, okay, guilty. And then the you know a week later comes back or whatever, and then the sentencing comes, and the judge says, "Okay, you have thirty nine months." And then you know he's kind of taken away. You, you know the the judges saw it firsthand. Okay, you're deserving of forty lash or twenty lashes, let's say. The guy was stretched out literally right then, right in front of the judge. So it wasn't some distant thing. You know, he was right in the mix of it. He was seeing what was going on and and seeing how much pain or hurt was causing this person. So, you know, he understood it very well. It wasn't something like judge removed in some nice office and then sends him off and doesn't see what happens in the prison. You know, he was right there. And then I, I like this because, you see, if he was deserving of 20 lashes, let's say, then you do it. He broke the law. Here's the punishment. You give it to him right then. You hand him his jacket. You send him on his way. It's done. You know, in today's society... One of the things I think, you know, it, it, it is not good is that, you know, you're marked as a felon or as a criminal for the rest of you. It's on some record and you can't ever seem to get out of that. And, and you know, and you're, you're kind of marked that way and then people kind of live to that expectation. And, uh, you know, I, I like this idea. Hey, you did something wrong. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it right then and there. And then it's done. Move on. And, you know, it gives people an opportunity to not have to carry around this, you know, I'm a felon my whole life, or I went to jail, or I stole something at Kmart or something, and now I got this record or something that haunts me for the rest of my life when I did something when I was 18 dumb or something like that. And, and so, I, I, you know, I think this was a pretty good, gave an opportunity to, hey, you're done with this now, learn from it, right? Move on. Verse 4 says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Oops. Where's my ox, ox picture? I'm back, ox. Oh, I didn't put it in. I had a great picture of an ox with a muzzle. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, the idea is that here's this ox. He's pulling a stone around or a cart. It's grinding up the weed or whatever it is, right? And here's this ox. Don't, don't put a muzzle on him. He's working. Let him eat, right? Let him eat. Um you know, it's be torture. The poor animal sees all this great food right in front of him, and he can't eat any of it. But interesting enough, as I flashed up here, you know, later the Apostle Paul used this verse as an analogy for supporting ministers, and it says this in Second or First Corinthians nine: 
For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when a plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. And then Paul tells the church of Corinth here, If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap material harvest among you? And so what he says and uses this verse and uh, that we're reading right here in Deuteronomy 25 and again in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about uh, pay your pastor. He's feeding you spiritually. Support him so that he can so he can do that. And he uses this verse here, interestingly enough. Of course, it's about showing mercy too as well with the, with the animal here. It's, it's kindness and consideration for animals, right? Verse 5, let's finish up this if a brother dwells together and one of them dies and has no son and the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family her husband's brother shall go into her take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her and it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of israel but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife then Let his brother's wife go up and to the city gate to the elders and say, "My husband, my brother's refuse. Um, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name of his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's uh, of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, "I do not want to take her," then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot. Spit in his face, and and say and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who has had his sandal removed. Now this is a place in the Bible that's called later on called the kinsman redeemer, and there's a wonderful picture of it in the book of Ruth, and uh, again we see the picture how Jesus became our close relative. Um, that he could redeem us, but but again the idea is, uh, you know, if here here's a family and, and a brother gets married and he dies, well his name wouldn't be, you know, in 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 the genealogy anymore. It would just vanish. And so the Lord says, listen, um, you know, one of the brothers needs to, um, you know, marry her and, and have an offspring, and, and that will be his name and he'll be named after his you know uh, uh the, the, his dead um uh the dead brother and kind of take his place um now tony you have how many brothers five seven brothers wow i guess you're right <laughs> so now if one of your if this was the law in your house let's say and your brother let's say uh, Al, uh alex was getting married um And you knew this was, you know, the law that you should go by. How, how would you be? How interested would you be in his bride to be? Pretty interested, because you might be hooked up with her one day, right? You might have to take her as wife if something happens to Alex. He totals his, uh, you know, his Dodge Charger or whatever, and doing a hundred on Green Valley or something. And, and you know, you'd have a little bit more interest in who your brother is marrying <laughs> if this were the case. And you know, all. Being funny aside, the idea was this: you know, this widow, if she didn't have any children to take care of her, 
She could really become a beggar very quickly.、Uh, it kept responsibility within the family. It would acknowledge them、uh, that brother that died, and you know he would be the legal father、uh, of the first. He would actually be considered the son of the of the dead man and take his place. And if somebody didn't want to do this, the idea of all that spit in the face, take the sandal, have this bad reputation, was just a you know would be a very humiliating experience. And God was trying to say, listen, I'm, I'm, I want you to take this serious. You know, here's this poor woman. She's you know was your sister-in-law. Something happened. Take care of her. Come on, you know, show some show some love there and respect for your for your family, and you know, take care of that. The Lord's always interested in doing that. Now, verse eleven, maybe one that you would never hear in church, but let's read it. If a man, if two men fight together, and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of of the one attacking him, and she puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, then you shall cut off her hand; your eye shall not pity her. So a barroom ball, brawling is going on, and she reaches in the wrong place; her hand would be removed. Now, first you think, well, she's defending her husband. Yeah, she's defending her husband, and you know she's going to try to do the best she can. But this brings back into focus that kind of strange verse we read in the very first verse in chapter twenty-three. Remember, if a guy's mutilated like that, he can't enter into the congregation of the Lord. And so again, this puts a high value on that. Even in her actions and her anger, you are not to do that because having children and that birthright and being part of Abraham's descendants and all that was important. And you can see how all this works together. It's not some strange thing out of the out of the ordinary, but it was very important. Now, what about today, gals? I encourage you if that's happened to your husband. You give a swift baseball bat in that location. <laughs> We're not in the Old Testament on that. You you help him out. <laughs> This was certainly you know for for obviously the nation at that time. But yeah, you、uh, yeah. Well, we say that fighting to begin with. But you know the idea was again as the nation that kind of all goes back to those other verses, right? You see how they all work together here. And then again, verse thirteen: You shall not have a、uh, your bag differing weights, a heavy weight and a light weight. Uh, you shall not have your、uh, house differing measure in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. So here it is, right? You have a scale on their days, something like this. You have these weights, and and one of them weighs, let's say, a, a pound. You put it on this side, and so you put a pound of sugar or whatever you're selling, flour, whatever, and it weighs out. Okay, here you go. Take your pound of flour. Well, you could see what people would want to do. Ooh, well, if I make instead of making it 16 ounces, if I make it 15 ounces, and I call it a pound, then I could be making more money, right? You can see where people's mind goes, and the Lord says. Listen, I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest because if you're not honest, if you're taking advantage, are you cheating somebody? I want you to know that's an abomination to me. And if you do what's right and you're an honest person in every way, notice the promise that your everything's going to go well with you in the land. Your your life, 
It's going to go well. Remember that. Be honest. And then finally he says, and remember verse 17, what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. Notice that. All your all the stragglers at your rear, that you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when you when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it as inheritance, that you may bl- will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. So Moses reminded them, suffered, Israel suffered from unprovoked attacks from these from these uh, Amalekites in, in Rephidim. So the idea was, here this this huge group of maybe three million people are walking through the desert. And then you had some stragglers that were kind of towards the back, and they weren't with the pack, and they were kind of on their own. And these guys would just zoom in and kill them and take all their stuff and zoom out. And they would straggle some more. They would zoom in and get them and kill them and then take off again. And the Lord said, listen, there's a price to be paid for that. And I want you to take care of it. And of course, we'll talk about that in 1 Samuel when the Lord tells Saul to take care of that. But I think the last thing I want to leave you with, um, you know, the real enemy preys on those who aren't walking in the group. You know, not walking with those who are strong with the Lord are easy targets. You know, if you're not in fellowship, if you're not in church, if you're not around God's people... You're an easy tar. If you're kind of hanging back, if you're kind of straggling behind, you know you're an easy target for the enemy to pick you off and get you involved in all kinds of stuff and get you off track. And you know, not walking with those that are in the center of what the Lord's doing, you know, you just become an easy target. That's a great spiritual lesson we can learn today. Well, let's pray, Father. We thank you for this time again that we get to look into your Word. Lord, there were so many different subjects, but all of them had such great application in so many ways, so diverse. Lord, you care about sanitation. <laughs> you, you care about, you know, the poor person and the slave that, you know, you might meet and how you help out and show mercy and you're honest. And, you know, you, you put a, a very valuable price on marriage and oh, so much, Lord. We thank you for these important lessons that we always need to hear and be reminded of. Bless them to our lives. Lord, help us to walk in them, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you guys. Read ahead, 7th commandment.